is it worth doing a podcast for a team that's four and fifteen? Sacramento State plays in a gym that holds 1,012 panel fans. If you are curious about what our new gym could look like, Portland State has a gorgeous new gym, and I would, I think there's a very good chance we're competing for the Big Sky Championship. You've got to remember, if we have a strong team, the Big Sky Conference Tournament is in Boise. That is a home court for us. Welcome to the Club, the official unofficial podcast of your University of Idaho Vandals. I'm your host today, Brian. You can find Tubs of the Club on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TubsOfTheClub.com. On today's episode, we're going to go over Idaho's losses on the road at Sacramento State and Portland State, and then preview this week's games in Moscow versus Northern Arizona and Southern Utah. But first, I want to ask any of our listeners, if you have a Vandal in a panic, over the recent news that our football program lost 28 to 29 players that was announced this last week. I really want you guys, I know if you're listening to me, you probably already listened to Chris's podcast, but please, if you have any vandal in your life who's in need of vandal football counseling, please send them to Tubbs at the Club to listen to Chris's update on what happened to those 28 or 29 players. I found it shockingly informative, not from the angle of the expectation I had of Tubbs the Club or anything, I expect nothing but the best from Tubbs the Club. But when Chris was going through the types, the patterns we see in people who leave, um, I didn't know that going in. I didn't understand that football programs lose a ton of players, uh, a ton relative to some of the other sports. You know, 20 sounds like a lot of players. 28 sounds like eight more. Um, I didn't understand programs lose players in that volume. And it often isn't a big deal. And in many cases, it's good news. You know, with the huge number of guys that Chris detailed who are who left the program are redshirt juniors, which that translates to they've been at the school for likely four years. The number of players we lost was really not that big a deal. It was also in line with the number of players we lost after our bowl seasons. Um, I know on paper seeing 29 leaves it immediately can send people to, you know, if there's something systemic with this program. And, you know, if you're a football fan like me, you know, I listen to the podcast. I buy tickets to the games. I go to those. You know, I saw us win four games last year. I want us to be good. It doesn't sound like the, if there are systemic programs in the football team, which I couldn't tell you about because I'm not a football player. I'm not a football coach. I'm not a football reporter. But if there are any sort of systemic problems that you want to talk about, they certainly, it sounds like they're not illustrated at all in the 28 to 29 people leaving because for a lot of the players it, it was actually good news that they were leaving and then also the status of a decent amount of redshirt players who um redshirt or walk-on players who it is quite feasible that the guys just made the decision that it's time to be a student over a student athlete um, that was illuminating so i want to thank chris for doing his work there and again if you have any vandal in a crisis please send them to tubs at the club send them to tubs club anyway But if you have any person who's a Vandal fan in your life who thinks they heard these 28 or 29 people are leaving, the program's going to hell, send them to us. Chris's podcast should set them straight. Pivoting from our counseling session, I want to move to the big picture status of Big Sky Basketball. Right now, your Idaho Vandals, and if you're listening, this is absolutely not news. Your Idaho Vandals sit in last place in the Big Sky. We are 1-7 in in conference, 6 games out of first place. We are 4-15 and 15 overall. Just above us is Sacramento State at 2-6, and 8-9 overall. Then Idaho State. Idaho State's a surprise this low at 3-6. and six. They returned a ton of talent. They're a junior heavy roster, and they're not looking great in conference. At the very least, we have in-state company towards the bottom. Good news, guys. Idaho State, 3-6, and 7-11 overall. Portland State won two games this weekend, tripling their Conference win total. They are now three and five, eight and eleven overall. Northern Arizona's four and five, six and thirteen overall. Southern Utah's four and five, nine and nine overall. Those are the two teams we play this week. Eastern Washington's four and four, six and thirteen overall. And the top four are the only four four teams in the conference with a winning record in conference. Although one of the teams does not have a winning record overall, though Montana State did play a relatively tough non-conference schedule, which is part part of why. Montana State is in fourth place at five and four in the Big Sky, but eight and eleven overall. 
Weber State and Montana are both tied for second at 7-2 and two overall, but Montana holds the tiebreak over Weber State based off the big win Montana had in Missoula on Saturday against Weber State in front of around 5,500 fans. We'll get to that more in a moment. And atop the conference, half game ahead of Montana, largely because they've just played one more conference game. Northern Colorado's 8-2 overall. Sorry, 8-2 in conference, 14-7 and seven overall. Although, as far as the top tier goes, you guys know if you listen that I write a long, exhaustive piece every two weeks going over every Big Sky basketball team. I have Northern Colorado as the third best team in conference. You can check out the work that I do for that over at Montana-Mint.com. I have Northern Colorado as the number three team in conference. Northern Colorado has two losses only, uh, but they were beaten handily by Weber State in Ogden, and they were just killed by Montana in Greeley, Colorado. Montana beat Northern Colorado earlier in the year by 24. But circling back, I want to talk about a Saturday game before I get to our Saturday game. It was the Montana game I referenced where Montana beat Weber State 75-68. to And the reason I want to go back over here, other than, one, with how bad the weekend is and how bad the season season's looking, yes, I am pushing, talking, or confronting our, our vandal state of basketball as far back as possible. Second, Montana and Weber State showed, really, there are some very good basketball teams in this conference. They're at the top. We, we just went through the records. There are some pretty bad teams, too. But Montana and Weber State are both teams that if they make it to, if either of them makes the NCAA tournament, and both of them are going to have to get the auto bid out of the league because neither is likely going to have the resume to get into the, the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. And also, the Big Sky hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since, I believe, the year 2006. It was back when Larry Kristowiak coached at Montana. Yeah, it's, it's been a while since the Big Sky hasn't won the tournament. We need that to turn around. And as Vandal fans who are, look, we know we're probably not making the NCAA tournaments here. We need to hope that for the sake of the conference, for the sake of other teams, getting better seating once they've made the NCAA tournament via the auto bid, or, and this is just miles, miles away. But if we ever get into this situation where there's a chance that the Big Sky has an at-large team that make the NCAA tournament. For us to get there, we're going to need Big Sky teams to win NCAA tournament games. And on Saturday, we had a matchup of the two best teams in that regard, where it was a bit of a clash of styles. Uh, Montana plays a slower pace. Now, they, they can score quite well. They're, the, they're in the top three in conference and scoring in points per game in spite of playing at a slower pace. Uh, but Montana, if you watch them, it is clear that they are a team that derives their identity via defense and post play. So I guess you could say Montana is kind of a throwback team. Uh, they play a ton of strong athletes. In a lot of ways, they just look like a, a power five team in terms of the athletes they put on the floor for their starting five. Not in terms of, you know, do I think all the Montana players should be playing at UCLA? Well, no. Uh, but Montana looks like a different beast than a ton of the rest of the conference. Weber State, they're different. They score a ton. They shoot over 50% from the field as a team. They turn the ball over a lot, too, which is odd for a team as good as Weber State that only has two conference losses for a team that hung with Montana when Montana thrives on teams turning over. Uh, you know, Weber State, they lead the, the, the big sky in turnovers per game, which, it, again, it's odd to say, but they're an incredible scoring team. Montana and Weber State both start four guys who easily should be considered all Big Sky players. Um, not all. First team all Big Sky, of course. There's a math problem there. But but they have their third and fourth starters for both those teams are really third team Big Sky candidates at absolute worst honorable mention Big Sky candidates. Those are good teams. And if you watch that game... You saw what Montana looks like defensively when they're clicking on all cylinders. You know, they built a 30 to 10 lead in the first half, but Weber State chipped away in the second half, got it to low single digits, then Montana pulled away at the end. Had a seven point win overall. Um, and what's funny when you watch that game from the Montana end, it's pretty clear that 
their head coach, Travis DeCure, if, you know, if I were to interview him for Tubbs Club, he would probably say they had multiple guys not play great games. Ahmad Rory, who he scored 20 points against us. Ahmad Rory made his first five shots, then finished 6 of 14, which if you're not a math major, that means he went 1 of 9 after starting 5 for 5. Um, Jamar Ako was the guy who really, really had maybe his best game of the year, scored 26, 27 points around there, picked up 10 rebounds, fouled out at the very end, but he was he was a difference. You know, Michael Aguine from Montana, he's another all-Big Sky candidate. He's, he was averaging 13 points on eight shots a game going into that game. He was injured in the Idaho game. He bruised his tailbone against us, sat out against Idaho State, but it didn't matter for Montana. Montana still won that game relatively handily. It wasn't a blowout, but there was it wasn't really in doubt throughout that. You know, Michael Aguine scored in single digits, and Montana still won. So we just went over two of their top three guys not playing great and they still won. Weaver State's the same way where what they'll likely say is, you know, Montana didn't get our best shot. Their second best player, maybe most important player, he's a Utah transfer. His name's Breckett Chapman. He's a four who can shoot, uh, but he sh- his game likely shouldn't be based on the perimeter. Um, he should be a post who can work on the perimeter. You know, he scored in single digits. He, he still picked up 16 rebounds, but Montana kind of turned him into a wing player where he was, where he was half his shots came from behind the three-point line. So again, you know, we had a good game in Missoula. We had the top of the conference and both playing well, but both teams are pro- probably left Missoula thinking, you know what, the the opposition did not, did not get our best shot. The next time it'll be different. And I expect when we see these teams playing Ogden on Valentine's Day. And to me, if you are a big sky basketball fan, it's worth watching, even if it's just for a half. Watch these teams so you can see what the top of the conference looks like. Watch these teams so you can see how far Idaho has to go. Uh, but when these two teams play again on Valentine's Day, I can guarantee that Weber State's likely going to have their game plan look a little bit different, and I guarantee they're likely going to feel feel that um, you know Montana won by seven because they got Weber State's you know C game. Although Montana, they're probably staying the same thing, except it's, you know, Weber State lost, and we were subpar relative to our standards. Jamar Coe had maybe the best game of the season for him, but other than that, no one had a huge game. Uh, But again, you know, that was the big action in the big sky away from the University of Idaho, and I've put off talking about our Vandals probably as long as I can keep you guys interested. You know, we had two games this weekend. And they were both pretty bad. We lost at, at Sacramento State 48 to 69. That 48 points is pretty rough. You know, a college basketball game is 40 minutes. You know, we scored 48 points. I, I don't know how to really contextualize that other than to say it's awful. And then we lost to Portland State 53 to 69. You know, we, we have an awful game at Sacramento State. If you're a Vandal fan, you're probably hoping, okay, this was our road. This was our road to Damascus moment at Sacramento State. We're going to turn it around. We'll see a good effort. It didn't happen. You know, we, we look like we bottomed out. We're 4-15 and 15 overall, 1-7 and seven in league. And I got to tell you, it was pretty tough to get up to in this podcast. There was a few days before where uh, it was a real question for me. You know, the team's 4-15. and 15. Is it worth doing a podcast for a team that's 4-15? Uh, real question. I hope I answered it by recording it. But... Yeah, we've talked a lot about the ins and outs of what's going on with Idaho, what we can look at doing. And, you know, we're gonna, we'll do it again. We're going to hit on some different points for sure. But when I watched those games this weekend, no question, the best part of either game, and I do not say this as a joke. It's going to sound like a joke, but I do not mean it that way. The best part of the weekend for Vandal basketball was Sacramento State radio announcer is either Steve McElroy or Jason Ross it was a one-person crew. I don't remember which which person it was. But the announcer for Sacramento State made that game, and I'm going to give you a little context as to why. Sacramento State plays in a gym that holds 1,012 people. They average 671 people per game, which is not many at all. But when you play in a gym that's the size, that's probably smaller than, Mo- it might be smaller than Moscow High School. It's certainly a smaller gym 
than Coeur d'Alene High School, certainly a smaller gym than Lake City High School, certainly a smaller gym than Post Falls High School. I mean, I don't know how to stress this. This is the state school in the state capital of California, and their gym holds 1,000 people. If that doesn't tell you everything about the history of Sacramento State basketball, I don't know what else there is to go over. 1,000 people is a sellout. The place had 671, and it looked packed because relative to the camera angle, it was close to packed. And again, the Sac State radio announcer, man, he was just hysterical. And I don't mean it to say he was amateur or anything. He wasn't. He was obviously professional. He was obviously practiced. But he had this tone about him. He had this approach about him as though he understood what it meant to be an announcer for a Division I team with a gym that holds 1,000 people. There was a, I call it fatalistic tone to him, or he was a guy who looked like he was so ready to be disappointed that he didn't want to truly get excited for the game. And when Idaho started the game out staying close with Sac State, you could tell through that announcer's voice that he was just waiting for Sacramento State to face plant. And then as that didn't happen, he woke up. And it was fun and funny to hear a guy like that who probably does have to talk himself into getting excited for these things. He had this, he had this way of delivering lines about teams on players on both teams as though he was just expecting to see a parade of air balls. The highlight for me, Cassius Smith's Francisco, our backup center, gets fouled. He's going to go shoot free throws. And the Sacramento State announcer, he just gets giddy. The first thing he says after announcing the foul and that Cassius Smith's Francisco is going to the free throw line, the announcer says, and this is going to be fun, doesn't lead with stats, doesn't go over any reason why, he just jumps in, it's going to be fun. And then he lets, lets the crowd know that Smith Francisco going into that moment was 2 of 14 from the line. Then the announcer, again, he just had this way of picking these just odd things that no other announcer fixates on. And maybe this is what you have to do when you're the announcer for Sacramento State. But as Cassius Smith Francisco is shooting his free throw, he is breaking down every movement of Smith Francisco bringing the ball up. He's describing the pace of him bringing the ball up. He's describing the release. And then there's this surprise in his voice when Smith Francisco missed the free throw because though he is a terrible free throw shooter at this point in his career, his form looks fine. He looks like a guy who's just shooting a basketball. And the announcer going in, it, based off his tone, based off how excited he, had, he was, I half expected to see Cassius Smith Francisco catapult the ball to the backboard and try to crack it or something like that. But that was the way this guy was. I, and again, I don't know what you need to do when you are the announcer for a team like Sacramento State and you are just used to year after year after year of losing. I mean, in Idaho, we're getting pretty down on the Vandals for winning four games in conf four games overall so far, two total wins against Division I teams. And there's reason for us to be frustrated about that. You know, since Don Verlin's been here, Idaho's floor has been raised way up. Some of the teams in the Big Sky Conference don't have that. Some of the teams in the Big Sky Conference, their history is kind of the worst version of what the most touchy Idaho Vandal fan believes are present to be. That was present in the game. Really, the announcer was part of what kept me going because that game, that 48-69 to loss Sacramento State, it was just rough. You know, there, there were some you know, odd components to the game that I don't really know how to describe. And the first thing is, you know, Sacramento State, they won that game by 21. If you watch the game and if you check the box score, there isn't anyone who had this unbelievable game for the Hornets. Their, set, their starting point guard, Marcus Graves, he had a solid game in terms of shooting, and he'd been shooting 37% from the field going in. So five of nine, it's above 50. Um, so, I mean, hey, maybe he did have a great game for what he's going to do this year. He scored 14 points. Now he did make three or four threes, and that hurt, no question. The best contribution Marcus Graves had was 10 assists, and he did drive against Idaho without really anyone slowing him down whatsoever. Uh, but the guy had 14 points. It wasn't like we were watching a future NBA guy just light us up. He scored 14. He was their leading scorer. Their center, Josh Patton, scored 13 points. And he scored five or six from the field, so if he shot it he was going to make it although all the shots were within two feet of the basket so he should but other than those two only one guy scored in double figures for sac state and their leading scorer scored 14 
they did not play that well. It was Idaho just played terrible. You know, Sac State, again, look at the box score. They shot 51% from the field, which is good. That's Our defense can't surrender 51% to a team that has a bottom three offense in the league. But again, Sac State, it's not like they were great. They shot 31.6% from three. We shot a higher percentage from three than Sac State did, and we lost by 21. You know, the things that stand out when you watch the game and when then you go back and check the stats compared to the eye test, Sacramento State scored 38 points in the paint. Hey, you guys heard me talk about points in the paint happened again. Now, part of why I break this down is just so we understand Idaho's defense is just bad all over the all over the place. Points in the paint very often can be, sometimes it's posts who are just destroying us, but we already went over their post. Their post scored 13 total points, and he made three free throws. So at max, he had 10 points in the paint. They still scored 28 other points in the paint. That is mostly our guards not stopping their guards from penetrating, and that is also us not stopping their guards from rebounding, which if we're surrendering, if we're allowing their center, who's a solid center but by no means great, to shoot five or six, five or six in the field, and then we're still surrendering another 28 points in the paint through penetration. If you don't score, you're not going to win that game. And we didn't score. We scored 48 points. It was one of the worst offensive showings I've ever seen. You know, highlights for us. It's hard to even bring up a highlight for us against Sacramento State. Jared Rodriguez was our only player who scored in double figures. Scored 11 points on nine shots, which relative to the type player he is. 11 points on nine shots is not particularly efficient. Now, he did almost have a double-double with nine rebounds, so that's positive. Um, Cam Tyson was our second leading scorer. He scored nine points, but he needed nine shots to get there. I'm going to circle back to the announcer. That was the other thing that was just flooring about the announcer, and which I love. I've gone on in this podcast a decent amount about how I feel that we should, we have to work to get Cam Tyson shots because he's, he's not a shot creator which that means if you have a J.J. Redick type of player or if you're a, let's say, a more senior or more seasoned listener, if you have a Reggie Miller-style shooter on your team who needs help getting open shots, you need to run a ton of plays to get that guy shots. This is I feel Cam Tyson should probably be shooting nine threes a game, and we should re- reliably be seeing those from plays being run for him. Cam Tyson shot three of five from behind the arc, and a stack state announcer, man, just like me, and I actually have felt like me being out there Every time Cam, T- Cam Tyson made a three, the announcer was just crestfallen as though he knew another 10 were coming. Cam Tyson hit one quick three, and the announcer just sounded devastated. But then when Cam Tyson hit his last three late in the game, it was his third three, the announcer actually spent time on how he did not understand how a shooter like Cam Tyson did not get more three-point attempts in the game, did not get more opportunities run towards him. I can't answer that question. I don't live in the world of hot takes on coaches, but that's a real coaching question I have. I don't understand how we have an elite shooter that we are not running plays. Now, we do run screens. We run sets that sometimes get him open looks, but most of the sets that we run, it's not its not like they're oriented towards him getting the shot. We have another wing, often Rayquanis Mitchell, who runs the exact same actions on the opposite side, and it's really just trying to get someone open at all. But we had someone with us. We had an announcer for Sacramento State going on about how can this guy only shoot five threes? Well, hey, I don't know. Um, one of the factors that was weirdest to me about the shot distribution was Trayvon Allen, who coming off the Montana game, 24 points on 18 shots. He was the guy for us that kept us in that Montana game. We saw the downside of the mid-range game um, against Sacramento State. He shot one of six total. Scored two points, didn't get three throw line, although he doesn't get three throw line very much. We've talked about that. Uh, the thing that was confusing for me about Trayvon Allen, he turned the ball over three times pretty quick. And the only shot he made was a tough shot. I have no question Verlin probably thought the shot he took was a bad shot when he made it. But Trayvon Allen played 16 minutes in the game against Sacramento State. He was pulled after nine minutes in the first half. I don't, I don't believe he came back in the first half, then only played about five in the second half. I looked in articles. I didn't see any reference to why Allen didn't play. Um, I don't know if 
other fans read something or if you heard something in the post game. But I was confused because we had six guys or six or seven guys who played more minutes than Trayvon Allen that game. And it wasn't clear that he was hurt and he was not in foul trouble either. He just didn't get off the bench. You know, the, the other highlight, I guess you could say is Cassius Smith's Francisco had what might be his best offensive game as a Vandal scored seven points on three or four shooting. So good for him. Uh, picked up five rebounds too. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to go over this game that much. You know, the, the big problem was, no one contributed and you know there's a couple pieces in this game specifically i do want to talk about before we go to the portland state game which is we have a we have a guard heavy offense right now and there are times where our offensive sets do not uh, do not actually make it easy for guards to put the ball on the floor and find open spots we do have posts uh, we do have posts we try to get the ball to sometimes that's not new with coach verlin uh, the difficulty i have in trying to understand or square the circle is the posts we have, this isn't last year where we had Brayon Blake, who was a first-team All-Vics guy. This isn't a team that has Kyle Barone, who is playing professionally right now and was whack player of the year as a senior. Our posts, when they score, if you're watching the game, it's clear they score opportunistically. Now, opportunistic, opportunistic scoring from the post is understood usually as a combination of putbacks from offensive rebounds, dump-offs from penetration, and just every once in a while... If their player goes over to try and block a shot, they might get a weak side rebound or another dish. But our posts, and we've seen this in Big Sky play, the, we don't have a guy like Jamar Coe on Montana. We don't have a guy like Brecka Chapman on Weber State. We don't have a guy like Zach Braxton on Weber State where we can just throw him in the block and we know we'll get points. Um, if our posts aren't establishing posi- position right on the very lowest part of the block or right by the restricted area, what they're doing is they're getting bad shots. They're getting contested shots. And the other part is if that, and by the way, that's often where our posts are getting positioned right now. It's in positions where they are not true threats to score. Um, and the other part of that is if your posts are not threats to score, if they are occupying the low block, and I say they plurally on purpose, if you have multiple guys trying to establish position in the post, but they are not offensive threats, what your offense has done is really put a sixth and seventh defender on the floor because the guards suddenly have nowhere to penetrate because most teams want penetration to funnel to the middle because that is where you can penetrate and have defensive collapse. Now, as a, it's sometimes weird to talk about these things, uh, you know, how basketball players move, how defenses move when it's done over the audio medium. But if you, you know, if you think about how defenses react, when a player drives into the key, most t- most coaches will teach defenders to collapse off of their man towards the key to stop an in-stride layup. That is different than if we have a player penetrate and they have to run parallel to the key. Now, our offense, uh, right now, man, when we have posts occupying that space, if they are not right next to the block, what they do is they... they give Xavier Smith a man to drive into and have nowhere to go. They give Trayvon Allen a guy to drive into and have nowhere to go. Um, Cam Tyson's not a great off-the-dribble player at this point in his career, but he's really not great if he has a guy occupying the space he has. He has to try to get in to get a shot. And that is the thing our offense is doing right now, and I don't know how to answer why we're doing that. Now, I can say next year it could be different because we do have Jack Wilson, that four-star recruit, and I expect he'll, he'll spend some time on the block He's also lean, uh, so he probably has some post skills in, in his repertoire as well. Uh, but I understand where this maybe generalizes or works next year. But right now, we have a guard-heavy team, and a lot of times we don't look like we have a guard from the offense. And you know, part of that, I'm not trying to say this is all a coach thing, because it's obviously not. Coach Verlin is not out there shooting 17 of 44 from the field. That's what our team shot against Sac State. Coach Verlin's not doing that. Coach Verlin is on the bench, trying to put the team in position to succeed. But sometimes, especially on the offensive end right now, man, I don't I don't understand why we've got as many people clogging the driving lanes as we do. And I have no idea if that's going to change. I, I, you know, we're deep into the year. I do not think this is the time where Coach Verlin says, hey, you know what, I want to do what Brian Fish is doing at Montana and spread the floor and have our post more or less just screen for players, which to me would be the best result for our team. But we're late into the year. 
And this is where we're at. You know, we scored 48 points against Sac State. Don't really know where else to go. The other game, oh man, the other game was rough. You know, it's, it is hard to not be super negative about how Idaho did. And I don't mean that in the sense of trying to be falsely um, or inaccurately optimistic. You guys, if you listen, you know that I talk about stats. I talk about actual gameplay. Um, but, you know, we scored 53 points against Portland State. Portland State scored 69. That's not a great offensive showing for them. They, they play a faster-paced offense, and they only scored 69. That's a below-average scoring game for them. We, aver- we scored 53, 53 points against them we, after scoring 48 against Sac State. That is embarrassing on the offensive end. And our defense, it's not like our defense was great to follow it up. You know, from the Sac, from the Portland State angle, again, no one on Portland State just lit us up. Their best player, Holland Woods, who I talk about him as being a real up-and-down guy. He was preseason all-conference this year after being newcomer of the year last year. He's a sophomore. He's shooting around 30% on the season. He did it again. He shot 3 of 10 against us. That is bad. If a point guard who shoots a ton shoots 30%, that should be a defensive win for your team. Holland Woods also missed both both his free throws. He gets the free throw line around six times a game. And he got the free throw line twice against us, and he missed them both. Guy scores six total points. So, you know, that should bode well for us, but... He also picked up seven assists, which is part of how some of the other Portland State players contributed. Now, positive for our defense, Holland Woods turned it over six times, although that's pretty average for him in conference. He averages about five turnovers a game. So six, it's not like that's out of nowhere. But again, now you look through the rest of their box score, their leading score had 11. They had two guys, Jamie Ormy and Michael Mayhew. Michael Mayhew's a shooter. He made two of five threes, three of four free throws. Um, those two guys had 11 points. Those are their leading scores. They had another guy score 10, another guy score 9. They didn't have anyone dominate. It was more or less their guards were able to penetrate against our guards, and that's the game. You know, Portland State shot 43% on the game. 43% not that great, but we shot 38%. We shot 21 to 55. You just can't win against even okay teams and Portland State might not be an okay team they might be bad they have three wins they, they picked up two of those wins at home you know good for them they finally got a conference win in their new gym Viking Pavilion which Vandal fans if you are curious about what our new gym could look like I'm not saying it's going to look like Viking Pavilion we like we have a different architecture group architecture group putting it together we'll have a different architectural motif going through but uh Portland State has a gorgeous new gym and I would Highly recommend Vandal fans check it out to see what a new gym can look like and what that facility could mean for that program. But again, we, we shot 38% from the field. It is hard to win when you shoot 38%. We gave out 26 points in the paint, but we scored 26 points in the paint. There were some things we kind of held even with Portland State. You know, we, we outscored them on second chance points. We had 18 second chance points. They had 16. And we still lost. And we turned over the ball 19 times. Well, they turned the ball over 18 times. Portland State didn't have a good game, and we just lost. We we shot ourselves out of that game. You know, the bright spot, Trayvon Allen was back to his regular minutes, played 31 minutes, scored 12 points on 13 shots, uh, had five assists. So great news is the five assists. That's the number from Allen that I'm happy about in that game because that shows his he is kicking some off his penetration. But 5 of 13, man, it's rough. You know, if you don't get to the free throw line, he, he shot one free throw and missed it. The mid-range center game, which is part of what I talked about, is when when he's shooting 60%, it looks great. Uh, but that that is something that has to be in place for him to have those nights where he looks like he might be all-league because 12 points on 13 shots is not all-league level performance. Now, it is by no means only on Trayvon that we lost. Uh, Trayvon was our leading scorer. If other guys played better, we would have been closer in that game because, like I said, it wasn't us turning the ball over more than Portland State. They turned over essentially the exact same rate. It wasn't Portland State destroying us in points in the paint. We were, we we outscored them in second chance points. The big problem, and by the way, like I said, points. I said points in the paint. Both teams were dead even on points in the paint at twenty six each. This game was even, except Idaho shot just miserably. 
we made eight total field goals in the first half and shot 30%. That's the game, guys. We went into half down 40 to 23. Portland State has to just absolutely come in with maybe the most atrocious performance they have in a half on the year to lose that game when they lead 40 to 23. They scored 40, which for them is close to average and almost doubled us. I, I don't know what else to go over. You know, the the positives for our team, you know, Scott Blakeney had his best game in quite some time. So good news for Scott. Scored 12 points, grabbed seven rebounds. Um, I am happy that Scott had a nice game. It's good to see him contribute. Now, he, he did get up eight shots, which is good for him. When Scott Blakeney gets up eight shots, that often means he's getting rebounds. And he had seven rebounds because Scott Blakeney is not a go-to post scorer. He scores opportunistically. So 12 points out of him means he's working hard. He's getting the kind of points he needs to. Now, four turnovers out of Scott. Not great news. But overall, uh, you know, Scott was our only guy who, well, actually, sorry, he's not our only guy. Kadeem Sam shot three or four. Scott, Blakeney, and Kadeem Sam are the only guys who shot over 50% for us. Otherwise, you know, Cam Tyson had a real rough game. Only played 15 minutes, and he, had, he played 15 minutes partially because of foul trouble. He had four fouls. Now, different in this game, so I will give this credit to Verlin, although maybe this credit is due in part to Portland State, too. In 15 minutes, Cam Tyson got up eight shots and seven threes. That is gunning it, and that is the kind of shooting I, I would love to see from him on a more regular basis. Now he shot two of eight from the field, two of seven from three, finished with six points. So downside, um, he didn't make the shots. But we, we've seen Cam Tyson make shots when he gets them. We need him to be a volume scorer for us to be for us to be competitive throughout the rest of the season. You know, Our big three scorers have been... Trayvon Allen, Cameron Tyson, and Jared Rodriguez, and almost no one else. And by the way, Jared Rodriguez had probably his worst big stat game against Portland State, scoring two points total. You know, the rest of our roster, I can go through it, but we had two guys scoring double figures. It was Trayvon and Scott. No one else really had a good game. You know, Kadeem, Scott, Kadeem Sam shot three or four. Um, that was about it. Gino West is back in the rotation. He shot two and six, scored five points, so... Um, you know, for Gino, I'm glad he's getting minutes again, but didn't exactly produce. Um, my man, Xavier Smith, who I've been saying he needs to play more, he played 17 minutes against Portland State, scored two points, picked up one assist, two turnovers. I've also brought up with Xavier Smith, there's a reason why he hasn't run away at the starting point guard job the way I wish he would based off the athleticism we've seen. Portland State was an example of one of the nights of why uh, Xavier Smith probably isn't starting at point guard the way I wish he would, wish he would, because he he needs to produce more consistently. He has to be able to make shots at least at a respectable rate, and he can't turn the ball over like that. So, you know that's where we're at. Idaho is four and fifteen. We are in sole possession of last place in the Big Sky. If I were to rewrite my Montana Mint rankings, Idaho would be its own tier of low and I might even invent a team with no other tier uh, just so I might invent another tier with no other team just to create some more space between us and the rest of the conference. Um, now, before we talk about the future games, I do want to say, you know, you're probably reading a frustrated tone because I am frustrated with how the team's doing. I, I would like us to play better. I, I would, I watch these games to be able to talk about them. And when Idaho plays as poorly as we did, it's hard to watch. You know, I want us to be better. Um, but I do like the state of Idaho's program better, better for sure, than the Sacramento State situation. Sacramento State's upperclassmen heavy, and they have two conference wins. They lost to Eastern after beating us. So Sac State, okay, maybe I was wrong. I, I would do a tier of just us, just for my own ability to have emphasis on Idaho. But then, you know, Sac State is not good. You know, Sac State turned around, lost to Eastern. It was a close game. But Sac State's upperclassmen heavy. You know, their best player, Marcus Graves, is graduating, and they have two league wins. Their second best player, Josh Patton's a junior, and he is not the kind of guy who can carry a team. That team is going to need some sort of transfer because the other upperclassmen are really not delivering, and it, I don't see any all-league player buried on that roster after watching that game. Um, so in, in terms of comparing us to the other bottom tiers, I do like the state of Idaho as a basketball program better than Sac State, no question, because we have at least a reason we can say, look, a lot of our young guys are playing. And I, I need to give a different definition for 
maybe what you'd call growing pains. If you're listening to this, at least if I were listening to this, I would probably not want to hear the term growing pains as a euphemism, and I don't mean it that way. It's, I want to give it a different definition, which is if you think of growing pains as guys who should not be on the floor are playing, you suddenly understand it different. You know, if you watch Montana and Weber State, Montana, there is a pretty big drop-off when you go from their starters to their bench. Now, they do have Kendall Manuel, who's a drop-down from Oregon State, who he'll be a solid starter next year. But if Montana was having to rely on its bench when they played Weber State, they would have lost, no question, because Weber State, their starters were obviously better than the Montana bench. If, if we had it inversed, and let's say the top two guards for Weber State, Jarek Harding and Cody John, uh, Jarek Harding's likely a first-team All-Big Sky talent, and Cody John is likely a third honorable mention kind of talent. Let's say you took them off the team in the same way that Idaho lost Vic Sanders to graduation and replaced them with guys who shouldn't be playing very much. Weber State would not be doing well. And that's what we're seeing in Idaho. Um, I don't mean this to call any individual players out, uh, because a lot of them are young. They're going to get better. They are going to produce. And in a couple of years, I think there's a very good chance we're competing for the Big Sky Championship. You've got to remember, if we have a strong team, the Big Sky Conference Tournament is in Boise. That is a home court for us. The biggest contingency of Vandal alums in the entire nation is in the city of Boise. If we are good, it shouldn't be hard for us to pack that place when Idaho plays, that's a home game or a series of home games to go to the NCAA tournament if Idaho can be good. But when you look at our roster right now, you know, if we had upperclassmen or some more solid guys, you know, it's not a secret Kadeem Saab wouldn't be playing because we tried to redshirt him. That's not news. He, he's only not redshirting because Markel Frazier was hurt. The goal was for him to not play. I wouldn't be shocked if, we looked, if you look through our roster and you know, if we had three or four more upperclassmen We'd see guys like Raekwon as Mitchell Redshirt. Well, he start, he's starting for us sometimes. I wouldn't be shocked if you see guys like Xavier Smith, maybe Redshirt. You know, Xavier Smith's playing some minutes, but it's not like it hurt him to have a year of seasoning, especially for his jump shot. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw a guy, Chance Garvin can't Redshirt, but I wouldn't be shocked if maybe Geno West was a guy who was worth Redshirting so that we have two more years of him. One year where he can be kind of our sixth man next season, and then maybe be a key offensive player and he's a senior. I don't know if that's in his future, but if we had upperclassmen, there's a lot of guys you can look at in our roster and you'd say, what growing pains needs to mean is these guys just wouldn't be on the floor. They'd be, they'd be getting better behind the, behind the scenes, but they're not. And when they have to play the teams like Montana, it's different. But also that's how we have letdowns against teams like Sac State. And even though Sac State is not good, they're guys that played three and four years of college basketball. They're, there's a difference in their bodies. There's a difference in the endurance. There's a difference in understanding what some of that game-to-game play looks like. Whereas, you know, the freshmen, they, they've all come from dominating on the basketball court. So I, I guess maybe this is a problem for me. Maybe this is a better way for Tubbs at the club to reevaluate future games. But I guess the term growing pains needs to be this cross-section of, yeah, up-and-down performance, but also... Some of the guys are playing poorly because in a more ideal world, they wouldn't be playing whatsoever. And that's just where we are at. Um, It's not a place I'm excited about, uh, but I I do feel there's talent on this team. There is talent that I think in a couple years will be good. Now, it's a real question of how we can be next year. Jack Wilson's an enormous variable. You know, if if he's a four-star talent who's healthy, he could immediately be a first-team all-big sky talent. Well, you throw a first-team all-league player on any team, that radically adjusts the ceiling. We're going to see what that looks like. But you throw a first-team all-league talent who has the ability to stretch the floor a little bit, suddenly pick and rolls with a guy like Trayvon Allen or a guy like Cam Tyson are different. Suddenly, running an offense with posts down low, the way we're doing it creates opportunities to score and also to create assists through kickouts, which is similar to what University of Montana does. So, there is a chance that maybe some things are different, but we're going to have to ride this out. And my shift in expectations from this point forward is more or less, if we get wins, I got to be happy. But the thing that's hurting to watch the most is what feels like regression. And I think all Vandal fans are probably there. All Vandal fans are still tuning in. You know, you look at our team. Right now, we are 
the worst scoring offense in the league at 64.2 points per game, exactly 20 points worse than the best scoring team, Montana State, at 84.2. We are seventh in scoring defense at 75.4 per game, which is about dead center of the conference, although our efficiency defensive numbers are pretty bad uh, because we, which efficiency in terms of defense, that looks more at points per possession instead of overall points. It factors in that teams that play faster pace have more possessions. We don't play a super fast pace, so our defensive efficiency is just wretched. Uh, so 75 points per game at the pace we play is not great. We have the worst scoring margin in the conference at negative 11.1, which is exactly 23 points different than the leading team in scoring margin, Montana, who averages plus 11.9. So we, on average, are losing by 11. Montana's winning by an average of almost 12. That's the gap between the top and bottom of the league. That's huge. We're the third worst field goal percentage team in the conference at 42.8. Again, as context, Weber State's the best shooting team at 51%. Montana's the second at 48.6%. We are the worst rebounding team in terms of margin in the conference, where we are out-rebounded by 5.6 rebounds a game. Weber State's top of the conference at plus 6.4. That's a 12-rebound gap. That's potentially 12 possessions that we gain from stopping the other team from getting shots, or where we get another possession because we rebounded a miss. That's 12. That's a huge deal. That's how you have a bad team. We are last in assists per game at 11 per game. Montana State's at the top of 15.4. And 11 assists per game is indicative of a combination of, one, uh, not having guards who are able to drive and kick, and two, not manufacturing easy shots, which some of that, and it's hard to go over this in audio without having some video, uh, some of this does circle back to what I was talking about earlier in that I, I feel that sometimes this guard-heavy roster is not always put in possession to succeed. Um, and I would point to the low assist per game number is how we are not letting, we are not creating a space where the guys who need to be able to penetrate can and where the penetration can lead to open shots. Um, and the to me, the biggest deal that you see this at in terms of what does this mean for Vandal fandom, we're second to last in attendance. 938 people per home game. You know, we, we've got some fans who are not happy that our new gym only has 4,000 people. We're at 900. You know, if we get to 2,000, that, that'll feel enormous right now. 938 per game. And sure, some of that was from Christmas break, but every school has that with Christmas break, and we're the school. That's at the second to last spot. And I think you should understand this is the last, because I don't even count Sac State. Sac State, we, we talked about their gym. It holds 1,012 people. That's the ceiling they could ever have for attendance. They sold out every single game. They'd average 1,012 people. We're at 938. We're different. We can seat almost 6,000 people. And we're at 938 because, because we're not playing well, guys. You know, there's no reason for people who are not huge Vandal fans to come to watch a team that's 4-15. And... 15. and you know, we might have to wait to next year. So, you know, if you're not a huge basketball fan, maybe now is when you say, hey, I'm going to watch something else. Uh, but if you're going to watch the team, what we, we have to look at now is, hey, how do we grow? How do we get better? What are the things we can do between now and the end of this next year so that we can show some growth? Um, because we haven't won for a while. It's a big deal. Now, moving on to the action we're going to see this week. We have a slightly different basketball schedule. We're in the part of our of our season where we're going to play a handful of games pretty quick. We don't have a game this Thursday. Idaho plays Northern Arizona on Saturday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. in Moscow. Then we play Monday against Southern Utah, February 4th at 7 p.m. in Moscow again. Now, both of these teams are towards the middle of the conference. Um, which to me means both of these games are completely winnable. You know, we start off in a battle against Northern Arizona. Northern Arizona is the other younger team in the conference. You know, a few of their contributors, of their main contributors, are sophomores. Now, a lot of our main contrib contributors are freshmen, but if we're looking at a team who might be growing in relation to you know, other teams like Montana, who are losing a lot of guys to graduation. Northern Arizona is one of those teams to look at. They're a team like us who's seen up and down play that you would say is partly in due, partly attributable to their youth. You know, their main players 
our sophomore forward, Jonathan Andre. He's averaging 13.2 points a game in conference on 43% from the field, 38% from behind the arc. He shoots about three threes a game. Their point guard, Carlos Hines, who's fast. He's a strong penetrator. He averages 12.5 points per game. By the way, these are all in-conference stats. Uh, Carlos Hines averages 12.5 points a game, but he is a really not good shooter. He shoots 37.5% from the field and 20% from behind the three-point line on five attempts per game. Carlos Hines is a guy who he can have a rough game and he can push Northern Arizona out, but he's also leading the league in assists per game. So this is a guy who... He contributes in multiple ways, and he's a sophomore. We, we have to get used to a guy like this. He'll be back in the next couple of years. Their third leading scorer is shooter Ted McCree. He is a junior. He's a guard. He averages 11.7 points a game in conference on 47.8% from behind three-point line, and he shoots about five threes a game. The big picture, or the team picture of Northern Arizona is they are the Number eight, or the fourth worst scoring offense in the league. They score 70.7 points a game. Reference point, Idaho scores 64 points a game. And they are the number three scoring defense, 73.9 points per game. Idaho is number seven. We're pretty close, 75.4. Their scoring margin is negative 3.2. So it's in the same family of Idaho in that it is negative, but it's nowhere near as negative as our negative 11. Uh, but the, the look we're going to see from Northern Arizona is... They're kind of like Montana light, I guess, in that they are a slower pace team. They try to play some tough defense. Uh, they focus on ball control. They try to not let the score get out of hand because they're a team that they don't have a single, a single guy who, based off from what I've seen, based off box scores, is jumping out as this all-big sky player on the team this year. Now, that might change next year. And if Carlos Hines can get a shot under control for next year, he's a great candidate to be the next all-Big Sky player at Northern Arizona. But right now, Northern Arizona doesn't have a single guy who, let's say, is like Ahmad Rory from Montana or is like Jarek Harding for Weaver State or is like Jordan Davis for Northern Colorado, who we know if we don't watch this guy, he might score 28 on us. Uh, that team doesn't have that guy. They have, if you look through their box scores, which I do when I write my Big Sky deep dive, in a ton of their games, they have multiple players score. When they do well in a ton of their games, they have multiple players who score between like 11 and 14. They've only had a guy score over 20 points a game about twice in the entire conference year. That's who this team is, is they need to have mid, mid-level contributions from a ton of players. The path to, to beating Northern Arizona for Idaho is one, I mean, some of this is just so simple with how bad we're, we're playing. It's almost hard to have a sophisticated take. We cannot play an absolutely awful offensive game against a team like Northern Arizona. You know, for, for Idaho, you know, I've talked about offensive and defensive rating. Those are offensive defense, offensive rating is points per 100 possession that we score. Defensive rating is points allowed per 100 possessions uh, that we let other teams score. It's a way to look at points per possession, you know, just divide by 100, and that's your points per possession. The Mendoza line, or the line of relative competence, is for offensive and defensive rating is right around 100. When you have ratings on offense over 100, it usually means your offense is efficient, and it usually means you're getting good shots. Now, if you're a team like Montana, it means you're getting inside shots. If you're a team like Montana State, it means you're taking and making open threes. Idaho on offense... We haven't had a deep, an offensive rating over 100 since Northern Colorado. Against Montana State, we were 98.5, which, you know, that, that's close to okay. It's not embarrassing. That's not good. Against Montana, we're 82.3. That's bad. Well, against Sac State, we were 80. And against Portland State, we were 79.1. Now, I went over some of the field goal percentages from those games, so that shouldn't shock you. But, you know, we just can't have our leading scorer when we really have three guys scoring for us right now. Those three guys, we, we've at least been relatively reliably expecting to score are Trayvon Allen, Cam Tyson, Jared Rodriguez. For Idaho to win, we have to have two of those guys have a big game on the offensive end. We have to have Cam Tyson score around 15 to 20, or we have to have Jared Rodriguez score around that 15 to 20, and we have to have Trayvon Allen get his 18-ish. Now he's down to 16 per game after two rough games. But heading into the Sac State Portland State 
Sac State and Portland State, Trayvon is averaging around 19.6, right just below 20. We need to get that level of production, or if we're only going to get 16 out of Trayvon, we probably have to get about 15 from Cam Tyson or Jared Rodriguez, and then about 12 to 13 out of the other. Because at this point, our other guys are not reliably producing where we can say we know that the combination of Xavier Smith or Geno West or Raekwondis Mitchell or Kadeem Sam is one of those guys is going to give us 10. We just can't expect that right now. So we need to have our big three show up more so than a team like Northern Arizona has to have their big three show up because Northern Arizona has some other guys who are contributing in a relatively reliable way. It doesn't mean they have a bunch of guys who are averaging 20 points a game. They don't. But if you look at their leading scores in conference, and we went over Jonathan Andre, Carlos Hines, and Ted McCree, they're all averaging above double figures. They have three other guys averaging between 9.3 points a game and 7.3 points a game. Now, those numbers aren't incredible. So you don't look at Brooks, the Bishop, who's averaging 7.8 points a game, and think, you know what, that Brooks, he's going to score 40 against us. You know, that, that's not what you're looking at. But if you're looking at, hey, how does a team that's not a great offensive team win? Well, Northern Arizona does it by having a handful of guys contribute. And that is something that our defense is going to have to, to account for. Northern Arizona does have some shooters. They don't have a post presence in the same way that Montana had with Jamar Coe. They don't have a post presence. Um, Josh Patton was trouble for us because of his size. Northern Arizona doesn't have that guy. They, they more have to score from shooting and from wing penetration, which is how they do score, but they also play ball control. You know, they are not running up and down the floor like Portland State, which is closer to the style Idaho plays, which might be beneficial. But when we look you know, again at the Idaho defense, you know, our offense has been real rough. Our defense has been right there with us. We don't have a single big sky game with a defensive rating below 100, you know, against Portland State. And we went over that Portland State didn't actually play that well when they beat us by 16. We had a defensive rating of 103 against Portland State. That's our best defensive showing of the year in terms of efficiency numbers. And so we're at the point where it's hard to be real sophisticated and tell you that, you know, we there are certain schemes we can look at defensively that'll be limiting against Northern Arizona. Northern Arizona has some shooters and we need to not get beat by Ted McCree. We need to not get beat by Jonathan Andre and Carlos Hines is going to look to cause trouble via dribble penetration. He's one of the best point guards in the big sky at dishing out assists. That is something we're going to have to look for. That is something Vandal fans are going to need to account for, but bigger picture in terms of this matchup, this is the two youngest teams in conference. This is another team that could be a measuring stick for us. Now we're at home. We can see, are we going to get any sort of response out of this team from adversity? Because if you look at our box scores, after that win against Eastern, our team is really not looking great. We followed the Eastern win up with a strong showing at Northern Colorado. That's our last good offensive showing. You know, and this team has looked like being strong offensively has got to be their route. Well, right now, we've got to get some results on one of those ends. I, I think persistently we've just seen that this isn't a team that's going to be strong on the defensive end. We have had some strong offensive games. If you look at the run from Weber State to Eastern Washington, Northern Colorado, that team has to be present or Idaho can't win. That's where we're at. And against Northern Arizona, that is a young team. That's a measuring stick. Northern Arizona has some guys playing who... They're contributing now, but it'd probably be better for them to be secondary players. Whereas right now, they, they don't have that luxury because they're young. They're not as young as us. But this is a team that, like us, they're going to return just about everyone. They're going to expect to be better next year. So this is going to be important for us to, to, again, look. You know, we had the last two games as a big deal for us about how we would establish ourselves in terms of the bottom of the conference. If we're going to salvage anything this year, we we got to turn around somewhere and the youngest team an up and down team in conference is a great place for us to start. That game is on Saturday, seven o'clock. Our next game is another one that I think we should have a chance. Although, you know, with how we played, it's hard to say that with any sort of confidence. We play Southern Utah at home on Monday at seven big picture, Southern Utah. They're different than Northern Arizona. Southern Utah is a scoring team. They, they're the fourth best scoring team in the conference, average 76 points per game, play at a faster pace. 
Now, they are the worst, the single worst scoring defense in the conference. Now, you thought Idaho was rough defensively. Welcome to Cedar City, Utah. Southern Utah gives up 81.3 points a game. Now, we just made the Sacramento State defense and the Portland State defense look competent, so that doesn't mean we're going to walk through and score points, but this is the profile of a team that we might be able to compete with again. Southern Utah has the third worst scoring margin in the league in the league of negative 6.1, and they've just been tremendously up and down. You know, sad story out of Southern Utah this year is they, they beat us in the Big Sky Conference tournament last year, which that's a sad story for us. But they Southern Utah returned the most physically talented player in the Big Sky, Dwayne Morgan. He was a former tw- top 25 recruit, played at UNLV for a few years, had, a, had some medical issues, transferred to Southern Utah, looked okay. He's a, he was a strong athlete with no real jump shot. He played three games this year. Southern Utah was 3-0 and in those games. Now, two of the games were not great. They played at NAIA school and San Jose State. San Jose State is simply not good. But Southern Utah beat Seattle U in Seattle. Seattle U is looking like a team that they might not win the WAC, but they're going to compete for a top-four seed in that tournament. That was a good non-conference win for Southern Utah. They face-planted after that, and... It was after that third game that they lost Dwayne Morgan for the year to a shoulder injury. You know, it took that team a while to recover. And in addition to losing your best player, which, by the way, every single team in this league will struggle if they lose their best player. Southern Utah has a different composition than most of the league in that they are real transfer heavy. They have six different Power 5 transfers on their roster. They have other transfer players on their roster, too. Uh, so in some ways, they have, a North, they have a New Mexico State feel in that they have a lot of guys who aren't going to be there very long that make up their roster. And even though you might look at the roster and see, hey, there's a bunch of juniors and seniors, those aren't guys who necessarily played together. Um, their best score is Cameron Aluyaton. He is their best chance at an all-big sky performer, who uh, right now he looks kind of like an honorable mention guy. He's averaging 14.4 game in conference. He's a Boise State transfer. So good news for Cameron. He got out of Boise State. Uh, but he's playing at Southern Utah, starting, scoring 14.4 points a game as a shooting guard, shooting 40% on three. He shoots half his shots from behind the arc. He is a guy who we can't let have a huge game if we want to keep this under control. Their next leading scorer in conference is Brandon Better. He is a shooting guard who does, who does have some ball handling duties. He is averaging 13.1 points a game. He is a huge up-and-down player. He shoots 36% from the field and 31% from behind the arc. He's a guy who averages 13 points a game because either he he gets on a run, makes a few shots, or he misses everything. He's a definition of a streak shooter. If you're a basketball player, you've seen this guy in open gyms a thousand times. Brandon Better is a guy who creates shots for himself. He doesn't create a lot of shots for others, but if he is hitting, uh, Southern Utah is a different team, and that, that can partially help explain why they have such a big scoring margin or a uh, scoring margin deficit while they do have a decent record in conference, they have a winning record overall. And their third leading scorer, Andre Adams, he's an Arizona State transfer. He's a forward. He averages 10.8 points a game, grabs 6.6 rebounds a game. He is not scoring you know, in 25-point batches, but he's a guy who Scott Blakeney and Cassius Smith-Francisco are going to have to keep in control. And last, they have Jacob Calloway. He's a forward. He's six foot eight, but he's a shooter. He averages 10 points a game, shoots about 32% from three, um, but he does shoot around five threes a game in that ballpark. So what's the what's the big picture to look at for Southern Utah? Well, compared to NAU, they get the ball up and down. You know, this is a faster-paced team. This is this is not Portland State in that regard, but this is closer to Portland State than it is to Northern Arizona in terms of pace. They can score, but they also surrender a ton of points. Which, if you are Idaho, obviously that that's great news. You know. I already went over in NAU how our offensive rating and our defensive rating have just been atrocious. And we we just can't play that bad and compete against anyone, so it's hard to have a sophisticated take. Well, you know, Southern Utah's had a pretty rough offensive run in spite of scoring a decent amount as of late. They haven't had an offensive rating over 100 in their last three games. Last time they did was a win against Portland State. But they only have three games in conference with an offensive rating over 100. So they get the ball up and down, but they don't necessarily score that well. And their defensive ratings are all over the map. They have a mix of, you know, they had 127 defensive rating. That is bad. 
against Montana State. And they followed that up with 115 against Montana, then 115 against Idaho State. Then they had a 117 in a win against Northern Arizona. Other than that, they've mostly kept teams below 100 on the defensive rating. So even though they give up a decent amount of points per game, part of that has to do with the pace at which they play. So that's going to be an interesting matchup to see. You know, they've been up and down in some ways, just like Idaho has been, although Idaho is a much more exaggerated version of that. And the key again, you know, it is just so simple at this point. Our three guys, uh, Trayvon Allen, Jared Rodriguez, and Cam Tyson have to contribute in meaningful ways. Or some, some of our bench guys or our third or fourth and fifth starters have to put up numbers in ways they haven't. So I guess you could say from an offensive end for us, there's kind of two ways to look at it. We either need to have big games out of Trayvon, Cam, and Jared, or we just can't have our offense be three on five, where scores number four and five for us are barely contributing at all. You know, if you if you look at how we were in in games against Portland State and games against Sacramento State, no one really contributed. But if you look at our fourth and fifth starters, you know we're getting we're you know against Portland State. Raquandis Mitchell, Jared Rodriguez, and Cam Tyson combined to shoot three of 16. Now, I went over that Cam Tyson and Jared Rodriguez are two of our three big guys. But if you have three starters can combined for three of 16, you're playing two on five. Um, now, two of our best players had a rough game against Portland State, which Cam and Jared usually don't play that bad. Um, but we persistently have had that happen. You know, If you look at our game against Sac State, you know, Raekwondis Mitchell and Trayvon Allen combined to shoot two of nine as starters. Cam Tyson shot three of nine. That's five of 18 out of three out of five starters. We just can't play like that and do well. So I guess you could look at it as we need our three big guys to have 15 or more points have re- and shoot at a relatively efficient rate. In particular for me, I'm always going to talk about this. Cam Tyson's got to have shots created for him because he's not a shot creator. Trayvon can get shots on his own. Jared Rodriguez gets touched in the post. He also gets touched on the wing. Cam specifically needs shots created for him. It is promising against Portland State. He got up those eight shots in 15 minutes. I really hope we see some more of that, so I'm not talking about how the announcer is the highlight. But against Southern Utah, if we don't have big games out of our three guys, we need other guys who have not been stepping up to do it. Otherwise, we can't anticipate a win. So again, those games, Saturday, we play Northern Arizona in Moscow at 7. Monday, we play Southern Utah in Moscow at seven. I want to thank everyone for your time. Thanks for downloading the podcast. If you are a business interested in sponsoring tubs at the club, make sure to email us at tubs at the club at gmail.com. We've got a vetting process, so it could take a little bit of time, but if you want us to do ad reads, if you want us to talk about how you have the best wings in town, or if you want to talk about how you have the single best health insurance in Moscow, the best car insurance in Moscow, we're willing to do that if you need our vetting guidelines. So if you're a business, you're interested, get in contact with us. If you're a Vandal alum, thanks for downloading. See you next time. And as always, go Vandal.